Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this week's episode. In the red corner, we're off into orbit around Neptune on a rescue mission that goes all different flavors of wrong, but that's what happens when you break every single law of physics and create a man-made black hole that actually opens a doorway to hell. Yes, we're finally doing it from 1997. We're heading aboard the Event Horizon. At 0300 this morning, TDRS picked up an automated navigation beacon broadcasting at two-minute intervals in Neptune orbit. This is incredible. It's the Event Horizon. She's come back. This ship has been beyond the boundaries of our universe. Who knows where it's been? And what it's brought back with it. Did you hear that? What is it? While in the blue corner, we're back in space, but we've got Neptune in our rearview mirrors because on Thursday, we're aboard the Icarus and heading in the opposite direction. You know when you're told never to look directly into the sun as a kid? Turns out there's a reason. It makes you proper nuts. From 2007, it's sunshine. Our sun is dying. Mankind faces extinction. 16 months ago, I, Robert Kappa, and a crew of seven left Earth frozen in a solar winter. Our mission, reignite the sun before it's too late. So what connects these two films and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken! Hello, Clash Potters. You can't leave. We won't let you. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. 
And we are recording remotely this week. I just thought I'd say that from the off in case there's a delay or there's awkward silences. It's not us falling out live on the show. It's because we're recording remotely. But nevertheless, welcome to this week's Clash as Event Horizon takes on Sunshine. Two films in which crews dock with spaceships they really shouldn't have, or as I'm calling it, docking hell. As you know, Every Clash this month is being picked by our dear Clash Podders, you. So you can send your suggestions in. There's still time. Show at ClashPod.com. Chris, who do we have to thank for this incredible pairing of Event Horizon and some other film? Yeah, a lot of people wanted Event Horizon, uh, to be honest. We had uh, a suggestion of Event Horizon and Sphere and an Event Horizon and In the Mouth of Madness. But three people suggested... Event Horizon and and Sunshine. Uh, Samantha Price suggested it, and she gave no reason. Uh, Tom (laughs) Hyten suggested it, and he simply said, because they are great crew casts. But Imran Leher uh, gave us a proper reason. He said, well, it's two space movies where rescue missions go wrong and seemingly educated characters descend into madness, and the enemy is not who you'd expect, the sun versus a ship. Great stuff. So uh, Samantha, Tom, and Imran... Thank you so much. I think right from the very first episode of Clash Pod, I've been talking about doing Event Horizon, and it's finally here. Uh, the guesses, uh, the guesses flooded in on Twitter, uh, by the way. So congratulations to uh, Ryan D, uh, Luke Moore from our friends over at the Football Ramble, and James Ozipu, who all got it right, but James was beaten to the punch by 13 seconds, and Mr. Peter Stirrup, who is this week's winner. The prize is seven years in a dimension of pure chaos. So, connections. Um, there are quite a lot, quite a staggering amount. Who wants to go first? Well, you just said one, didn't you? Uh, lost spaceships reappearing after seven years. That's the amount of time in both movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, baldies with bloody bodies going bonkers is mine. <laughs> Um, rescue mission's gone wrong because someone can't do their fucking job right, um, which is DJ in Event Horizon, just misses a bit of Latin, stupid. And Trey fucks up the shields, which is very, very, um, has a lot of consequences of his actions. Uh, we've also got being fired out of an airlock with no spacesuit uh, in two of the most incredible scenes in both films. Um ships which under the circumstances the name of the ship could only have been a joke because if you've got a ship exploring the bounds of physics don't call it event horizon and if you've got a ship going to the sun definitely don't call it icarus and if it's the second one (laughs) definitely don't call it icarus 2 do you want it to fail it's mad (laughs) i have some Um, quotes pertaining to that for our sunshine episode danny ball explaining why they called it icarus yeah he did have a reason, didn't he? Mm. I saw that, yeah. Mm. Um, massive religious overtones in, in both films. There is a, a lot of religious iconography or philosophy. Coolant. Yeah, bloody coolant. <laughs> Fucking coolant. I've got one more. I've got one more, but it doesn't... I'm only saying it because I'm really pleased with it, but it doesn't work. But let me say it anyway. Are you ready? 
Mm. In space, there'll be no I in your team, right? Because there's no eyes in Event Horizon because everyone loses their eyes. And then in Sunshine, the chain of command is absolutely mental. Um, there's no teamwork. There's no eyes in your team. Do you get it? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, I got I got a couple more. Um, uh, both movies have fun with the studio logo at the start. Uh, we go off into space behind the Paramount Mountain and we see the sunshine on the horizon of the Fox Searchlight logo. And I can't believe you haven't picked up on this one, Victoria. This feels like one that you would go, hey, um, 90s dance bands. Underworld and oh, John yeah. Murphy did the score for Sunshine and Orbital and Michael Carvin did the score for Event Horizon. Yeah, that's brilliant. Well done. Mm. Uh, terrifying video messages from former crew is another one. Um, and finally, spectacular deaths. Obviously, there's some great deaths in Event Horizon and Danny Boyle says uh, Sunshine works as a series of deaths, really good deaths. Basically, every 10 to 15 minutes, some character dies in a really spectacular death. So, <laughs> spectacular deaths. Um, any more? No. Great. Right. Uh, so Chris is doing Sunshine this week, which means I am obviously very grateful once again to Samantha, Tom and Imran, because it means that after banging on about how much I love this film on and off since episode one of the podcast, I finally get to talk about Event Horizon. Let me take you on a journey. After the worst space disaster on record, the event horizon reappears in a decaying orbit around Jupiter. No, Neptune. <laughs> Having been missing for seven years, the ship's creator, the not-at-all-sinister Dr. Weir, and the rescue crew of the Lewis and Clark embark on a mission to find out where it's been. Unfortunately for them, the event horizon tore a hole in our universe and went to another dimension. Hell. It's brought the evil back with it, which kills off the rescuers one by one by playing on their darkest fears. Dr. Weir decides he doesn't need his eyes anymore and then gets one hell of a makeover, looking like a cross between a Cenobite and a meat feast pizza, before Captain Miller makes the ultimate sacrifice and saves his surviving crewmates. Or does he? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, for your consideration, Event Horizon. So, individual histories with this movie. I genuinely don't know what yours are, uh, so I'm very excited to find out, Victoria. <laughs> right. Until last week, I swear down I'd seen this film, and I swear to God I saw it with you, but <laughs> I thought it was set on a submarine, and so I don't... <laughs> <laughs> So, but you just said it was called Event Horizon and it was the ship was called Event Horizon. Yeah, I know. So anyway, it turns out I haven't seen it. So there you go. Okay. Wow. So this was a first watch for you. Mm -hmm. Oh, don't say anything. I can't wait to hear. I cannot wait to hear your thoughts, Chris. Um, it's yet again, we're doing that period when I was at uni. So it was at some point, one late one night with my mates uh, on video, or it might have been in the cinema. It might have been in the cinema. I'm really confused now. Uh, one of the two, but I remember um, thinking it was one of the scariest movies I had ever seen, and I've not revisited it since. Oh, okay. So uh, ditto on the second part of what you just said. Uh, I was, um, I weirdly remember watching the making of Event Horizon. Do you remember movies, games, and videos on Saturday morning TV? They did a very brief segment on the making of Event Horizon. I remember them blowing up the model of the ship, uh, which was a massive spoiler, unfortunately. <laughs> Fucking movies, games, and videos. Uh, but nevertheless, it, I was about 18, 19 uh, when I, I finally got around to seeing this. And yeah, it absolutely screwed me up. I've watched it once since then. 
I was equally terrified. And then watching it again this weekend, um, yeah, it's amazing that when so many movies have lost their power in the subsequent decades to when you first saw them, this one I still find absolutely petrifying. It scares the shit out of me. I, I also watched it with my best mate, Stuart Smith, when I was at UD. And I realised on this watch, I think this is why we started calling him Smitty. Yay! Oh. Sean Pertwee. Got a story about Sean Pertwee coming up. Um, right, uh, a little bit of backstory. Now, I, I, I'm going to try and keep it brief, but there is quite a lot to get through in terms of the backstory to this movie. And I think there are certain things that rumours that have abounded for a long time that need to be dispelled. So uh, bear with me. Uh, it was written by Philip Eisner. Uh, just two movies he's written. Uh, the second of which is 2008's The Mutant Chronicles, which I've never seen and most likely will never see because I watched the trailer at the weekend and it looks fucking awful. Uh, but there is an interesting fan theory, uh, more than one, in fact, about this movie. Uh, the first is, uh, question, uh, did any of you enjoy playing Games Workshop specifically in the Warhammer 40k universe as children or indeed now? No, but I was no. going to ask you that question, Alex. So this is good. Yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I did. Although, I have, hands up, I didn't know this theory until I did a little bit of looking. So Warhammer 40k is this fantastic universe uh, where I was a tabletop wargamer at school and I still paint the miniatures, although I don't play anymore, which is kind of sad. But nevertheless, uh, there's a warp in the war, Warhammer 40k universe. And this movie, uh, Warhammer 40k fans talk about this being part of that universe and being mankind's first discovery of the warp and where chaos lives, which I found fascinating. And I did a bit of digging on this and someone once asked Philip Eisner uh, if that was true. And he said, uh, and I quote, I played the shit out of 40K. So it was definitely an influence, conscious or otherwise. And Paul Anderson and his producing partner, Jeremy Bolt, uh, talk about how they love Warhammer. And they actually spent a lot of time talking to Games Workshop about doing a Warhammer movie, which sadly did not amount to anything, but they can understand why people make the connection. Um, would either of you, based on that little blurb, be interested in joining me in a brand new Warhammer 40K Clash Pod club? As chat up lines go, that is shit. <laughs> does it does it not make me sort of disarmingly geeky and cute? Um, maybe, maybe twenty years ago. <laughs> um, so there's another theory that this is attached to another universe. I've already given you a clue, and it's a movie we've covered on Clash Pod. Do you know what universe people think this is connected to as well? Alien. No, although I can see why. Chris, this is a movie that we did for Valentine's Day. Hellraiser. Hellraiser. Yes. Yeah. A lot of people talk about how this movie could be set in the same universe as Hellraiser with the gateway on the event horizon being very similar to the puzzle box and with Sam Neill reappearing kind of imbued with the same philosophy as the Cenobites and looking a bit like a Cenobite. Um, a lot of and, people and spouting the same think, bloody dialogue as the Cenobites as well. <laughs> yeah. uh, we need to take you to hell. Um, yeah, a lot of people uh, think that Clive Barker, because of that connection, was a consultant on this movie. Uh, I'm here to dispel that myth right now. It took me a while, but here's a quote from Clive Barker in 1997. I've been told. And you out there may know better than me as to whether this is true, that the new movie, Event Horizon, which opened this weekend, looks suspiciously like Hellraiser in space, which makes you think he had absolutely nothing to do with it. 
So, Philip Eisner writes this script. He pitches it as a haunted house story in space. It involved the cruise ship Event Horizon experiencing a series of hauntings by aliens with tentacles that had crossed over into our dimension. Paramount, uh, Paramount approaches Paul Anderson to do it. He likes the script, wants to make a dark film after the PG-13 rated Mortal Kombat and with Soldier being postponed while Kurt Russell gets into shape. So he picks this over X-Men which he was asked to direct at the same time. He was like, nope, I want a grown-up movie. I want an adult horror film. So he doesn't like the aliens because he thinks it's too much like Alien. And he brings on board Andrew Kevin Walker to do a rewrite of the script. Now, Andrew Kevin Walker has just written Seven and, in Paul Anderson's words, is in the fucking perfect place to do a rewrite <laughs> on this movie. So it's actually Andrew Kevin Walker who brought in a lot of the hell aspect to this movie then we get into uh, the biggest part of this so are you both now aware of the i guess romantic idea of the missing footage to event horizon yes yep so because titanic which was paramount's big uh, september release was pushed back to december they go to Paul Anderson, we want Event Horizon to be our new September release. Uh, in hindsight, he thinks it was a bad idea replacing Titanic with Event Horizon due to their slightly differing tones. <laughs> but nevertheless, he only gets about four weeks uh, instead of 10 to put his first cut together. Now, I first heard about this missing footage um, interviewing Lawrence Fishburne for Matrix Reloaded. And I just sort of kind of casually went, by the way, as I've done with every cast member of Event Horizon, by the way, <laughs> fucking love Event Horizon. And he's like, in his Lawrence Fishburne, pure gravitas. If a man was pure gravitas, it's Lawrence Fishburne. Goes, there are an extra 40 minutes of that film. And I'm like, you fucking what? <laughs> and there are about 40 minutes more. So Paul Anderson's original cut was two hours, 10 minutes long. And this was the first screening he did of it. And he did it for both a focus group and the Paramount execs. And he says, people are so shocked by the movie we finally had. Imagine the response to the hardcore version we'd originally showed to them. The studio had stopped watching the dailies after two weeks, which was just people wandering around in spacesuits. And also because of Mortal Kombat's success, they kind of left me to it. The first screening involved people fainting in the audience, and it got a massively negative reaction because it was so fucking gory now this was your first watch of the current version the theatrical cut that came out victoria hmm. what did you think of the gore level oh i could have handled a bit more to be honest i don't know if that's because i've become desensitized because of you too <laughs> i don't know it didn't bother me it honestly didn't bother me and i think because it's obvious where they've pulled back a bit it, it sort of ruined it a little bit yeah well uh, Paramount got so freaked out. Paul Anderson says he thought he thinks the studio thought they were getting Star Trek in space with some horror vibes. Uh, they freaked out and just kept going cut, 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 shorter, shorter, shorter. And he feels that the movie should be 10 minutes longer. Now, he doesn't think, which a lot of people want, this ultraviolet two-hour, 10-minute cut to exist. He says, I'd only ever put about 10 minutes more back in. He thinks there was a happy medium between the Paramount demanded cut 
and his original cover only about 10 minutes. Nevertheless, people are desperate to see this footage. We'll go through what the footage is when we're talking about the movie. Uh, but he says it will never come to pass um, because... They shot Event Horizon before the DVD revolution. There was no need to look after deleted scenes and extra footage, so it was stored badly. It's degraded. Some ended up in a Transylvanian salt mine, and it's unusable. There's talk of a VHS cassette floating around that producer Lloyd Levin has. In 2017, this was mentioned, but Paul Anderson says, we've never ended up in the same room at the same time with a VHS player. And you kind of think that if he was keen to see this footage, even at VHS quality, which is the only way it remains, he'd have done something about it. But no one's seen this VHS. It's gone quiet on that front. You told me that Scream Factory have got a Blu-ray special edition coming out, I think in April, Chris, haven't they? Yeah. I sent you the press release. I didn't have that much interest myself. So what did it say, Alex? <laughs> um, it's suitably vague. I think in our heart of hearts, we'd love it if they found all this footage and it was going to come out on this collector's edition DVD and um, Blu-ray rather. Um, I don't think it's going to because it sounds like it's just gone. Yeah, they put out a plea, didn't they? I think along with the press release, it mm. was a plea if anyone knows where this footage might be, which does happen sometimes. Stuff shows up in the funniest places, but um, yeah, I, I think it's probably gone as well. I mean, if you are going to store... Uh, tapes in a Transylvanian salt mine. <laughs> and what do you expect? <laughs> What's wrong with these people? Isn't that a movie in itself? Yes. I think we need to write the movie about people looking for the event horizon missing footage and ending up in a Transylvanian salt mine where the film stock itself is imbued with hell and <laughs> gets attacked. <laughs> um, that's my pitch. I, I, I'll, I, I'll end on this before we start talking about the film. Um, I do think there is a certain romanticism about this missing footage. And it, there's a story about uh, the 1933 version of King Kong, where there was a scene where the insects, giant insects attack the crew in the ravine, which Peter Jackson recreated in, in his version. But the footage was taken out because it was deemed too disturbing. And then it was lost and it's never been seen since. And it has that romantic thing. Like, I wonder what that footage would be like. But in truth, if you watched it, you'd be like, yeah, it's just a bit all right. It's, it's, all, right. <laughs> yeah. it's all right. It's not that scary anymore. It was 1933. So yeah. I think I think I kind of almost prefer the story of it being missing than I would do seeing it all put back together. Shall we talk about the movie? Sure. Okay. Uh, so uh, we fly past the Paramount Mountain into space. We find out some facts. Mining on Mars, first colony on the moon, worst space disaster on record. In 2040, the event horizon disappears. It reappears seven years later in 2047, which is now. <laughs> we first see the ship in a decaying orbit from above over Neptune. And I swear to God, it gives me the fucking creeps. Just that shot, because the ship looks like it's sitting there waiting with that lightning storm under it. I was scared already. Um, we get to go inside the ship. We see the floating eyeless man who's screaming. It turns out that's a dream Dr. Weir, Sam Neill, is having. And it also turns out that he probably has that dream quite a lot. Because if I woke up from that dream, I'd be like, fucking hell! <laughs> and he goes, oh, Claire. <laughs> <laughs> Really, you have the, the floating eyeless man dream a lot then because he goes, Claire, 
I miss you, mm -hmm. uh, which he doesn't need to say because he has an altar of 200 framed <laughs> photographs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a bit creepy. I mean, I get that he loved her, but maybe she was driven to something by <laughs> his obsession. I just, it's just where it tips over from like, I miss my w dead wife to there's something wrong with me already and we're not even into it yet. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, if she was, it's probably because she's dead. Because mm. if she was still alive and she walked in and saw that, she'd be like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to leave you. Because, <laughs> and, and also, this is on a floating space station above Earth. I am sure that when he got on board the shuttle, they'd have gone, sorry, Dr. Weir, it's three personal possessions only. <laughs> <laughs> we're, going into, we're going into space, you know, limited room. And he's like, but it's Claire. I miss her. Oh, all, oh what well, you should. It's you a collage. It's a collage. It only counts as one item. Yeah. Yeah. Well, take, take the whole bloody thing. We'll leave the food behind. How about that? Um, and we actually, this is our first deleted scene. Uh, there's a scene here on the uh, original version where Sam Neill uh, is given a, a briefing about the reappearance of the event horizon. I watched it. It's on YouTube, this one. It's unfinished, but it reminds me very much of Ripley being debriefed on the gateway station in Aliens. Um, it's kind of unnecessary. It spoils because you first hear the, uh, the Latin Librate may play to him there, which spoils it for yeah, later Yeah, it spoils on. a lot of the reveals that kind of... It explains to you exactly who, what the Event Horizon was, what it was doing, how it could travel. As you say, they play the audio. I think it gives away a lot of stuff that is nicely revealed over the next half hour. Agreed. It's an unnecessary scene. Um, Sam Neill's really good in it because uh, he's great in this film. I'd argue that he's even better than he was in The Hunt for Red October, in which he starred alongside Tim Curry. And that completes this week's obligatory Tim Curry reference. I'm bringing it back because Lucy Cosmedia tweeted, hashtag save the obligatory Tim Curry reference. That's also Thanks, why Lucy. I think Event Horizon is set on a submarine, isn't it? I've just realised. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Different films, yes. different films. Different films, yeah. but Sam Neill is, yeah, got it. Uh, then we're aboard the Lewis and Clark and we uh, start to meet some of uh, this wonderfully cast crew. Initially, uh, we meet Smitty, played by Sean Pertwee, a man who I bumped into in a bar having never interviewed and literally chewed his ear off, trapped him in a corner of a booth where he couldn't actually stand up and get away from me and talk to him incessantly about this film. Uh, at which point later on in the night, his wife said to me, Sean's outside if you want to carry on talking to him about Event Horizon. <laughs> <laughs> was, she doing, was she doing that to screw him over or as a nice thing? <laughs> I, think, I, I think she meant it like he actually really loves talking okay. to you about this movie. I hope so. Anyway, <laughs> otherwise I misread the situation because I went straight back outside. I went, Sean, hey, shut up. <laughs> Remember me? <laughs> Uh, we also meet Mr. Justin and uh, then there's uh, Jolly Richardson Lawrence Fishburne in his stupid fucking chair what's stupid um, about it I thought his chair was amazing he looks silly. I hate that chair <laughs> it's so futuristic what are you talking about <laughs> It wobbles, Victoria. It, <laughs> it wobbles doesn't. so much and it's way too narrow. He is the captain of this ship and he's got his legs sort of scrunched up like he's sitting on a child's chair because it's too <laughs> narrow for him. <laughs> um, it, it's, I really hate that chair. Um, 
Apparently, Lawrence Fishman's character of Miller was originally written as a big white Texan guy, but Paul Anderson loved Lawrence Fishman so much he rewrote the part uh, for him. He says he has the gravitas to say lines like, this ship is alive. And you believe him, uh, which turns out to be very important in this film. <laughs> uh, so they get in the grav tanks. Uh, Jason Isaacs is doing an impression of me outside every airport ever before I get on a long haul flight and smoking everything as quickly <laughs> as possible. You just can't be allowed to smoke in space. I get it. And I would be grateful. I'd be like, oh, wait, can we, can we really? Oh, fuck it. Okay. If it's all right, then it's fine. But it's a, it's an area with limited oxygen, very limited oxygen. You cannot be allowed to use the oxygen, filling it full of fag smoke. Yeah. Uh, he also says, just to, before Dr. Weir gets into his grav tank, uh, claustrophobic. And Weir goes, yes, very. Uh, which is fine, except that this is the same doctor that willingly crawls into an electrical shaft 20 minutes from now. So <laughs> yeah. a little bit of a white lie uh, there from Dr. Weir. So we then get a little explanation after they come out of their, their grav tanks. Uh, Weir has that scary dream and we first meet um, Eilis Claire as I will be calling her, his wife. Um, she was terrified when I was a kid. She doesn't quite scare me as much as she did. She's not one of the elements that terrifies me in this film. But weirdly enough, when I was 18 years old, like her popping up with no eyes was horrifying. How did you feel? It didn't bother me for some reason. I think because her, <laughs> this is so gross, her eye sockets look quite dry. And so it didn't upset me. If they'd been in some, if there'd been an oozing or a leakage or a seepage, it would have been mm. more distressing. But it looked quite clean and quite cauterized and uh, like antiseptic. So it was fine. I think I was more scared okay. of topless Sam Neill walking around sucking his stomach in. <laughs> uh, did you um, did you notice the flags on their uniforms? There's a, a little. Um, it's quite interesting. The flags on their uniforms. Um, the Americans have uh, the American flag, although with uh, I think a few more states on it. Um, Sam Neill has the Australian flag with the Union Jack removed and the Aboriginal flag put in its place, and uh, the British um, astronauts uh, have uh, not foretold Brexit, and they have the EU flag. <laughs> Oh, oh happy days. Yeah. Mm. Uh, they were all asked what they um, what they wanted their flag to be, so they all had some input into that, and that's what they all came up with individually. Um, anyway, we're on board the ship. Uh, please, uh, in future, lo let's lose uh, Stark using the phrase five by five. I don't care whether or not it's uh, genuine chatter in the military. It's used in Aliens. You are also making a film that looks a lot like Aliens. You're yeah. using Aliens DOP. Do not have a character say Pharaoh's line of five by five because you're like, mm -hmm. oh, Aliens. That's a good film. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Victoria. What? what? Am, I, am I sensing no, no, a no. way that we are going to fall out over the course of this? No, I've been, I've, I've been really frightened, um, but I think we'll be okay. Okay. You scare people, okay. Alex. You scare people into not wanting to say what they think. <laughs> You're allowed to say what you think, just not about this movie on this episode, but every <laughs> other episode. Um, then we get the famous wormhole explanation scene about what the uh, ship does, <laughs> uh, which was ripped off wholesale by Interstellar. Yeah, but it's, I get that, but it is also how a wormhole works. So it's just, I thought of you, Chris, because I, I thought you must be screaming your head off because like, obviously it's the, 
the Back to the Future and the chalkboard <laughs> thing yeah. and to get down the calendar and just the minute he folds the paper over, it's like, I've seen that so many times. I feel like I could probably pilot a ship through a wormhole <laughs> right now because I feel like a <laughs> physicist. But it's all it's in Star Trek as well, a lot. Like it's to be fair, that's just how they work, apparently. So it's fine. It is how they work, yeah. It is. I did a little bit of looking around. That's um it's exactly how they work, so fair fair dinkums. I guess it's all right. I mean, I just, you know, Event Horizon did it first. That's all I'm saying. Event Horizon did it first. Uh, so um, we get uh, my first favorite moment, uh, which is obviously the audio recording that they picked up, the single audio recording that left the Event Horizon, <laughs> which is on a tape. Victoria. I'm just laughing <laughs> because no one goes, fuck it, that's just screaming. We should leave. <laughs> it's just screaming. No one goes, oh God, that's that's upsetting. They're just like, listen to this constant screaming. Yeah. Sorry. Um, they, they talk about having put it through a lot of filters on earth and then they play it again and it's the Latin, liberate me. Uh, which DJ uh, pipes up and goes, oh, actually, I, I know a bit of Latin. Uh, that uh, that means save me. I know well, Dr. Weir doesn't go. That is fucking incredible because we asked a million people on earth if they knew what it meant <laughs> and, and not one person could work that out. So thank fuck you're here and you know a bit of Latin. Yeah. We, 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 I mean, did they not bother checking on earth? We'll play it on the ship and, you know, roll the dice on this. Well, maybe someone knows a bit of Latin. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot of reliance on filters, which I don't mind, but you could do with explaining what those filters, like we ran, we ran it through a language filter and no knew what it was so anything but just to keep because they do it a lot with i'm going to clean up the recordings of the log using a filter and whatever and it, it's a little bit lazy maybe yeah but it's still terrifying did you not get oh, goosebumps yeah. i got yeah. it's that it's a really nice tool and it really sets the scene for yeah. when the ship descends very aliens like the lewis and clark descends through the clouds and arrives at the event horizon out of the clouds and I just that ship is so beautiful and I mean I don't need to say it because Miller goes very impressive ship doctor and you're like yeah it fucking is that <laughs> is an impressive ship it's beautiful um it was um it's quite fascinating how they came up with the design because obviously it's this really gothic like a cathedral and it is a lot like a cathedral because they basically scanned Notre Dame in Paris and then rearranged Notre Dame to build the event horizon uh, and it's also uh, quite a lot like the Nostromo, according to Paul Anderson. He said he was heavily influenced by the Nostromo. I think it's more memorable than the Nostromo. I don't know about you guys. I couldn't draw the Nostromo, but I could draw the Event Horizon from memory. I can't draw anything, so no good to me. Uh, but it does look amazing. No, I, to I totally agree. Um, I'm just sad. He said that everything um, on the Event Horizon was supposed to be shot in zero gravity, but they found it too difficult, mm. but that was the plan. I'm kind of gutted. That would have been an interesting uh, movie if they'd managed to do that. He said Apollo 13 raised the bar um, and that gave them a problem because their sets were so much bigger that they couldn't really uh, achieve it. And also Apollo 13 was actually, I, I think I'm right in saying it was actually shot in zero G. They were couple, aboard yeah, like the Vomit scenes, Comet. But, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, he did say it raised the bar. Um, yeah. I, there's a bit here that I wish was in it. And I think Paul Anderson wishes was in it when Lawrence Fishburne first goes aboard the ship and um, 
you see all the stuff floating around him, uh, which hasn't dated well, the CGI. Um, but there was meant to be a tooth with a bit of gum still attached to it that he finds, which would have been really cool. Um, as it stands, uh, Victoria, quick question. What's worse of uh, the zero-G objects that Lawrence Fishburne might, uh, could have found? Is it A, a tooth with some gum still attached to it from a human being mm-hmm. or is it B a full bottle of gin that's smashed and the gin's all wasted <laughs> I think we both know the answer to that as if they wouldn't have gin in hell anyway people are having a drink in hell are they not isn't it half the point <laughs> yeah but that would make it fun the whole point of it is like hell you're not having fun here it'd be gin but it'd be, it'd be locked in a, a cabinet and the key would be just out of reach um uh, also, weirdly enough, there's a VHS cassette floating in zero G, which is a bit interesting for 2047. Um, the set design is really cool. I mean, this film looks great. Uh, I watched a QA and um, Paul Anderson's producing partner, Jeremy Bolt, uh, said, not to take anything away from our production designers, but they really do just fulfill Paul's vision, which sounds like you're taking a lot away from the yeah. production designers. <laughs> <laughs> they followed instructions. Oh, okay. Um, so um, we also learn uh, quite usefully uh, that the ship um, can be blown in two um, so that the forward decks can be used as a lifeboat and are separated from engineering at the rear of the ship uh, which is a very cool thing which is obviously going to come into play later did no one think that maybe they could have just had escape pods uh, or Perhaps uh, the forward decks could be used as a lifeboat, but they could detach through some sort of mechanism from the rest of the ship. It seems rather extreme to go, we need to use the forward uh, decks as a lifeboat. Let's blow the fuck out of the ship. Because what happens (laughs) when you solve the problem and go, shall we reattach to the event horizon? No, you've blown it up. You've blown blown up the middle part of the the ship. So it's really a one-shot thing. It's just like... <laughs> you didn't think it's sort of like did you, did you have any other ideas? Why well, it's too late? I've put the bombs in now. I put the bombs in uh, right after I built a tunnel that looks like a meat grinder and added spikes to every flat surface. I yeah, could find. I'm not being funny. I've never seen anything that looked more like an ancient portal to hell. They're like, Welcome to my modern <laughs> gravity drive. Oh, sorry, no, 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 this is clearly cursed. <laughs> That, that was all. Uh, that was all Paul Anderson because originally it was just uh, blast doors were there, and he edited in the meat grinder corridor. Did you? Did you uh, pick up what it was based on, Alex? What inspired it? A peppermill. <laughs> no, I've been on that ride, and I imagine you have as well. Yeah, so it's the six million dollar man ride at Universal Studios, um, where the yeah, tram. It's changed. Yeah, but when he when he rode on it, it was that, and and, he, and the tram stopped in a tunnel that kind of messed with your equilibrium, and so he just mm. wanted to stick that in a movie, which is kind of cool. I think it's now. I'm trying to. I was trying to remember because I've done that trolley tour a, a few times at the bottom of Universal Studios. I think it's King Kong fighting dinosaurs now where that happens. But yeah, based on um, based on that ride, um, oh, we have some great lines here that as long as you don't think about them too much are really quite effective. Uh, For example, when uh, Peters bumps into the floating body, which has had its face torn apart and it has no eyes, DJ says, that looks like an animal did it. 
which is a great line, except surely someone should go, an animal DJ, we're in orbit mm. around Neptune. Mm-hmm. What, what animal specifically <laughs> are you thinking of, DJ? Uh, space mice? Do you think it's a, a, is it a galactic cat, DJ? A galactic cat. Is it, DJ? Have you watched Flash Gordon? Is it boar worms? Did boar worms do it, DJ? It might be it's Jonesy. Like, it could be Jonesy. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it kind of works because you sort of like it might it sort of leans towards aliens, maybe. But it's just a bit like I just wish someone went. What are you talking about, DJ? Um, and we'll carry on after this short break. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This week at Sukarnov. Me and Luke have been whiling away the lockdown with our usual nonsense on the Luke and Pete show. Here's a quick taste of the kind of challenges we've been setting for ourselves. Give us any nation and I'll tell you yeah. why they're dirty. All right, I'll do it now. Um, right. uh, Italy. Italy, yeah. it looks like a sexy boot. <laughs> yeah. There's also a brand new episode of On the Continent, your weekly guide to the sublime and frequently ridiculous in European football. Find it over on Football Ramble Presents every Thursday. Neymar's responded to this in kind that they forgot to tell you um, how to win titles. Then Alvaro has responded with a picture of Pelé 
with three World Cups going <laughs> in the eternal shadow of the king. This reminds me of Stormzy and Wiley. The spirits that they have. All that and a whole lot more at Sukarnov. So uh, we get a scary moment now, which is when uh, Mr. Justin, baby bear, mm. uh, gets pulled through the gateway. Oh, I like the baby uh, bear thing. Do you not like it? I like it because initially I'm a bit like, mm, you know, they're in the Navy, they're military officers, baby bear, mama bear. Yeah. I'll, I'll explain why I like it because I think there is a reason why it's there. And uh, I think the reason it's there is very effective when it comes to it. But initially, before knowing that reason, I was a little bit like, this is a bit sickly. But um, that's probably just me. Uh, he goes through a gateway. And there was a deleted scene uh, that shows him being just really enthusiastic and excited about the mission, which is why he's a fucking idiot and goes, <laughs> I'll just stick my finger into this uh, weird doorway that is, as Vicky pointed out, massively scary already. But fuck it, you know, I'll just put, oh, oh wait, I've been sucked into hell. I wasn't expecting that. Um, so... We get this big explosion the Lewis and Clark and we get our ticking clock because uh, everything's damaged. They have to get aboard the event horizon 20 hours till they run out of air. And this is when we start to see the ship play on the fears of the crew. Uh, Peters sees her terminally ill son with infected wounds on his legs. Victoria, Chris, what did you think of that? It just didn't bother me. I don't know. What's, I don't know what's happened. Normally, I'm, you know, I'm such a sucker for stuff like that, especially a child. But yeah, child. I was like, and I was like, oh, that looks so. Oh, bless you. That looks sore. That was it. <laughs> so there's a line later where Peter's, you hear her basically go, she saw maggots. She doesn't quite finish the word, but this is one of the gory scenes that Anderson cut and would not put back in, even if he could, because initially, she looks down and it, there's maggots crawling out of mm. the wounds. Mm. And what makes it even worse is the child actor that they got to do it. They held a screen in front of him. Those are prosthetic legs. And they held a screen in front of him. And he was like playing on his like Atari game, Sega Game Gear or something, because they wanted his reaction when they dropped the screen. And so they put loads of maggots on these prosthetic legs, oh. drop the screen, and the kid loses his shit. He just starts bawling. He's like, oh. <laughs> and they put it in the film. They put it in the two-hour cut of the movie. Oh, and no. That's when, that's when uh, Paul Anson says, we lost the audience because it was so horrible that it just took them out of the movie. Oh, that's awful. That's oh, it's a horrible thing to do to someone. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny, though. Wait till he sees this. Yeah, you roll in. <laughs> Want to be oh, an actor, you do you? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Hollywood, kid. <laughs> There's $200 for that and no usage rights. Good luck. And give, give the game gear back. That's part of the crew. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You don't get, you don't get yeah. to keep that. Did you have a call? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we want that back as well. <laughs> um. Uh, so uh, the one scene that I do want to spend a little bit of time uh, dissecting is uh, my favorite scene in the movie. I think it is the greatest scene in the whole movie in terms of at least how much it fucked me up as a teenager watching it. And that is when Justin shuts himself in the airlock and opens the outer door. Um, what did you guys think of this scene? Yeah, I think, um, well, the first time this, this uh, concept upset me was License to Kill when the guy <laughs> is in the air Oh, God! Room. 
Yes, that bit where his head expands and bursts is so dark. That's the darkest moment in any Bond movie ever. And so that was already a deep-seated fear, but I don't think just for me. I think anyone who watches that, the idea of your body exploding, it's it's frightening. And so to see it here, the pressure getting to him, um, the, 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 the blood vessel starting to pop, it's just a really terrifying visual and it and it's something you can almost feel i think in your body as you're watching it mm. when Lawrence yeah. fishman says to him like he's, he's like my eyes he says don't worry about your eyes just close them it's like oh because they're gonna pop this file <laughs> yeah because it's it's really good because um, peters and dj and start run to the airlock but he seals himself inside before they can get there and then they're like to miller Lawrence fishman they're like justin's in the airlock oh, you need to sort this out and Cooper steps up and goes, I'll go. And Lawrence Fishburne may as well turn to him at that point and go, do you remember whose name is on the poster? Obviously, I'll be doing this <laughs> yeah. fucking awesome hero moment. So yeah. stand down. And I think the bit where he's powering along the rail looks so cool. Um, I think we get a lot of chatter, uh, of very long-winded ways of saying that they can't get him out, like start going, he's engaged the override and we can't open the inner door. But <laughs> the thing that really makes it for me, and we touched on this earlier about the baby bear, mama bear thing, which is obviously Peter's has that relationship with her terminally ill son back on earth. And she sort of transplanted that maternal instinct to Justin. So she's mama bear, he's baby bear. For all the sort of sickliness of those titles earlier, here is where it packs a punch in the most twisted way possible. And it's the moment, it's it's a really, I only picked up on it this time, but he's sort of in this trance. It's almost, to me, like the darkness has possessed him and he's not himself. And the reason I think that is when he reaches over and he looks like he's going to open the inner door. And then he switches at the last minute and opens the outer door and starts the 30-second countdown. There's this weird grin on his face. Mm-hmm. Like the darkness is basically going, I'm about to fuck up your baby bear and there is nothing you can do about it. Don't you think? Yeah, I agree. I do. I agree with you. I think it. I thought that because I've only seen it this once, that there was going to be an idea that being exposed to the the crushing uh force of space could wake you up from the trance that the evil puts you into. That's the only Mm. cure. And then I backtrack on that. And when he's saying to her, why aren't you coming to get me, mummy, basically, which is like everyone's worst nightmare, he's trying to coax her into that situation using her Achilles heel of her uh, maternal instincts because that's pure evil. Do you think, I? you see, I think... I think what really makes it effective is actually when the alarm blares and he snaps out of the trance, it's like the double whammy of him not having realized what he was doing and then Mm. suddenly becoming aware and being confused as to why she's not trying to save him because he doesn't understand that the door can't be opened. He doesn't even remember opening the outer door. So he's like, (coughs) what are you doing? Why aren't you, why aren't you opening the door? Mama bear. It's, Why are you telling me to make myself into a ball and blow all the air out of my lungs? (laughs) Oh, that's so awesome, though. I love that bit. That's because with that, does that work? I suppose exactly. That's what you're saying. Is that going to work? Is that going to (laughs) work? What's weird is that he goes, "I want you to huff and puff and blow all the air out of your lungs," and then it cuts to Justin and his eyes are spewing blood. And at that point, he's probably going, "I'm more concerned about my fucking eyes. I don't care about huffing and puffing. My eyes." Eyes are bleeding through my hands. 
And then he gets projected into space. Lawrence Fishburne catches him. It's just a great, the tension, the action, the horror, the ugliness, the darkness of that scene is all done so well. And then you get that awful payoff where he's back in the grav tank and DJ goes, he's not going to be pretty, but he should live. And it's kind of left to your imagination. What's happened as a result of being out in space without a spacesuit? I will say, I know that, see how you feel about this, but why did they not kill him? Because he survives so much. Like he survives going to hell and he's um, in a state. Then he survives that, which is unbelievable. He survives being out in space, which is again, unreal. But Mm. why did they pull back from... Like the ship has won. He's been. He's the first. You know. He's he's dead. Why does he have to survive so many times? I think in that instance, it's because obviously Lawrence Fishburne doesn't get a hero moment if he doesn't oh. manage to rescue him. Oh, I see. Yes, oh, that makes sense. Yes, which kind of plays into like although we don't really know it at this stage, it makes sense in terms of his character when we learn later on that he never leaves a man behind, and that's why he's so adamant he's going to save Justin, and he does. Mm. Then we sort of get into the bit where the ship really starts uh, killing people now, uh, but not before we see uh, the other very famous moment in this movie. Um, First of all, it's when DJ says to Miller, I think I made a mistake with the translation. (laughs) You fucking idiot. (laughs) Classic, classic Malfoy. Classic Malfoy. (laughs) He goes, uh, I thought it said May, save me. But it's not May. It's Liberate Tutame, save yourself. Um, Which is just, I remember having goosebumps at that moment. Um, and then they go on X and Ferris, save yourself from hell. So good. So good. Fucking put a bit of Latin in a horror movie and I'm yeah, sold yeah. by the sounds of things. A hundred percent. It's not, but that's the, that is a, it's a serious point because of, you know, it looks like Notre Dame and it plays on your, you know, obviously deeply religious fears. And then I'm the same as you because I don't know any Latin. It's the same with Roman numerals. I don't know these ancient things. So it could be saying anything like mind the gap or whatever. And I'd be like, fuck, this is really scary. But I would yeah, say I you, don't, you don't need to know Latin. Roman numerals are useful because they are used quite a lot all around us. I can't learn them. I have tried. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> I mean, I'm surprised they're still learning Latin in the 2040s. I learned Latin in the 1990s and it was pointless then. It's pointless now, 25 years later, and it'll be pointless in the 2040s. But what about when you find an ancient scroll in Mm. your garden or wherever and then you'd be really, then you'd be fine? Well, no, of the two of you, you'd be the one who'd be fine, Victoria, because you'd be like, fucking Latin, I'm not reading this. And Chris would be like, oh, I think I can read this and open a doorway to hell. (laughs) (laughs) What's that at the bottom of your garden, Chris? So I found this scroll and because I know Latin, I read it. and, And now I've got this portal to hell by the roses. So, you know, don't come around for a barbecue. Uh, Now, uh, uh, straight off the back of that brilliant scene, we get uh, one of the most talked about 20 seconds in horror movie history, which is the hell orgy. The Mm. moment where we see what happened to the rest of the crew. I will remember as a kid going through this frame by frame to try and see everything because I wanted to see these horrors 
uh, as much as possible. Um, and this is... What, you well, let's start with your... You keep claiming you were a kid. You weren't a kid. I feel like 18, I, I now talk about as though I was a kid. But <laughs> I, as, an, as an 18-year-old man, I you went through some this child watching this. <laughs> <laughs> um, Victoria, first time watching mm. it. Thoughts on the hell montage? Um, Effective, but because we've seen... Oh, I've forgotten the name of it already. Was Society. It? Thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because we saw that in actual slow motion, I was like, oh, that looks like a, a shit orgy, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so there, this is where there was a lot more footage originally shot, like shit loads of stuff. And uh, it was largely filmed by the second unit that Paramount never saw the rushes off uh, that he put into this original two hour, 10 minute cut out. Uh, from the blood orgy. Now, uh, uh, Dave Bonniewell, uh, uh, the effects artist in Event Horizon, actually responded to a fan who asked what was left out of the blood orgy. Um, and he said he was told by Anderson to come up with creative effects for the scene and the director would choose the one he liked best and uh, that he liked best to include. So uh, some of the things deleted from the blood orgy include a woman being held down while screws are drilled into her teeth. A oh, man's God. legs. Yeah, right. You and the dentist. Mm. <laughs> yeah, pretty dark, right? Screws mm -hmm. drilled into her teeth as she's held down. A man's legs beaten with pipes to the point that they break off as he crawls away. <laughs> A crew member's breast being torn off. And Paul Anderson's favorite bit of blood orgy footage that was cut, and this is a direct quote, a steak goes up someone's ass and then comes out of their mouth with their intestines on it. <laughs> <laughs> like a canopy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was getting that confused because there was another one they mentioned was a man ramming his arm um, into his own mouth and pulling out his mm. innards. Which sounds yep. similar to the steak with the intestines <laughs> on the end. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think it was it was pretty much uh, the gloves off for this. Jason Isaacs, uh, when he's asked about it, says he was doing things that were, I've no doubt, against the law, certainly against every ethical and professional guild code. There were porn stars, there were amputees, there were people recruited from S and M clubs. There was some stuff going on in there. Every now and again, he'd walk over to our set with a kind of Vietnam War thousand yard stare and go, you will not believe what I've been seeing this morning. I have so um, many things to show you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but again, this goes back to what I was saying at the start. I don't know that I want to see anymore. It's so effective that 20 seconds uh, sort of making you think you've seen worse than you possibly have. That yeah. I think to put in more would perhaps ruin it. I think it, I it's, agree. It's, it's nicer that it is that short and that you just get these flashes. But also it's buttoned by Lawrence Fishburne saying, we're leaving, which is just so brilliant. Like, yeah, and he's funny. like, fuck, it's, it's so funny. Like, fuck this shit. We're going home. It's so good. Like, no more, no, no, you don't need to say anything more. You're just like, right, I've had enough now. That's it. Yeah. Uh, and they do get so close to leaving. Smitty and Peters are collecting the oxygen for the return journey. And if only Peters hadn't turned around. And I wonder, as, as, as a mother, Victoria, whether this affected mm. you when her own child lures her to her death. <laughs> little bastard say <laughs> the things you do for your own kids um i thought her death was really good though i love the the way she sort of splashes to the ground i thought that was great do you know my only problem with it if you build 
uh, a set which is 90% spikes at some point have someone fucking land on one of them especially that's if in that room someone falls from a great high don't have them fall true. in the fucking coolant have them fall that's on a true. spike mm, and also, and weird, also um, so much of this film is nicked from other places but that's uh, Peter's death Peter's story has got real don't look now vibes as well mm. um, it's very similar there so uh I think a few of these scenes coming up actually have uh, are just direct ripoffs from different potentially better films, but I don't upset yeah. by saying that. No, I, I'm happy for you to say that. It doesn't. It doesn't upset me because I mean, I, I I'd be an idiot if I wasn't aware that he has sort of cherry picked moments from The Haunting and The Shining, which we're going to talk about, Aliens, to put together this collage of scares. And yet, I still think it's very effective. Um, Have either of you seen or uh, read or seen either of the film versions of Solaris? No, I haven't. To my shame. No, the boat that were it came up so much in my research, and I was like, "Yeah, yeah. I'm well, going to wait for Chris to mention that." <laughs> yeah, well, I've seen both the movies, not not for a long time, um, but the stuff with Weir that, that that we get to now, we're talking to his wife um, about her her death, her suicide. It's it's completely uh, taken from Solaris. That is what Solaris is about, and mm. I don't know. It just carries more weight there. That storyline's allowed to breathe, whereas here, I don't think we quite see or hear enough of it but equally I, I don't know it also got me thinking could you say that the ship effectively killed his wife um because she was sad because he was working on the ship and neglecting her he didn't spend any time oh. with her that's the suggestion here so is there but that, there be a school of thought that would, that that's what sorry go on alex no that's in, uh, that's interesting but that would imply that even before the event horizon had torn a hole in space, there was some sort of evil force leaking through or that the ship itself or that Sam Neill himself had been contaminated with this force that the ship killed his wife. And I mean, you know, if it would consciously killed his wife, it would need to have sort of been evil before it went into the realm of chaos. Hmm. Yeah, I just I, I, this time watching it, I was really thinking about the connection between him and the ship and when that began exactly, um, why he built it in the first place. Uh, again, that's something they don't really go into, but I think it's something interesting. Um, uh, you know, how much does Weir want this from the beginning of the film? Mm. I certainly think from the minute the ship reappears, he is, he's evil. Like from the minute he finds out the event horizon is back. I mean, that deleted debriefing or even when he's on the um, Lewis and Clark, you're like, fucking Creepsville. He is a little too keen to get back to this ship. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know where, where the, that's where the casting works really well. I think because, you know, certainly watching it this time, I didn't want to believe Sam Neill was the bad guy. Uh, hmm. because of who he is and what he represents in, in you know, one of the biggest films of all time. And, and it's interesting. I found a quote from Anderson where he kind of says the same thing. He says, I felt that Sam Neill in people's consciousness uh, was the good guy from Jurassic Park. He was the man who saved the children. He was America's hero. And I love the idea of taking that man who's so solid and so dependable and reliable, who saved children from dinosaurs and going, you know what? You can't <laughs> trust him because he's just insane. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I thought Sam did a tremendously good job and I think that's true um, and actually if you look at his back catalogue he's done a lot of really effective horror where he is the villain um, he's, mm. he's, he's even Damien in, the, in one of the Omen movies but yeah, I don't know three, he just I seems think. 
Yeah, he just seems to represent good. That it's really, it's a really messed up thing to watch him uh, do the things he does in this film. Yeah, I think Paul Anderson actually put quite a lot of thought into the casting of people uh, in that respect because of who they are and what they represented. He says he cast Jolie Richardson in part because she'd just done 101 Dalmatians and she was this English rose from this acting dynasty. And he thought, who better to cover in 200 gallons of blood <laughs> on a ship? And that's why he wanted her in that role. Um so we're into the final few deaths now. DJ gets dissected alive. Um, mm -hmm. I will say in that Claire, uh, the Claire death, again, there was a much more gruesome version that was cut down for this uh, where we see a lot more of her killing him. I do think it's very effective where she's gouging his eyes, cut to Sam Neill gouging his own eyes out. I like that moment. But yeah, DJ gets dissected alive because apparently that was his biggest fear. Who knew? Uh, no one. <laughs> so specific as well, isn't it? It's not really many people's biggest fear. Yeah, I mean, you should I be scared of that. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and, that's, a, as well. yeah. and that's a rip-off from Science of the Lambs, isn't it? In, in, in even the way he's sort of from the ceiling dripping down. We, you know, we've seen yeah. that on, uh, in, you know, one of the biggest films of that period. So uh, another thing stolen. Yeah, and also it's just not set up very well. Apparently, there was uh, there's no talk of a deleted scene, but there is talk of him having a backstory where he was operated on as a child, which is why he's got the scar down his front, and so that's why it's his biggest fear. There's also a longer scene there where you see a little bit more gore when Miller discovers his body. Um, uh, my worst death, uh, however, is Smitty getting blown up by the bomb when Weir plants it on the Lewis and Clark and he finds it with four seconds to go. And just the look on Sean Pelton's oh, yeah. poor face where he's yeah. like, oh, oh fuck. fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so he gets blown up the Smitty. Cooper gets blown into space. And even as a 18-year-old kid, man, um, I remember thinking, well, he's dead. And the fact that he somehow ends up in the orbit of Neptune and gets back to the ship, I always thought was a little bit of a stretch then and indeed now. Do you know where he's bad. flying off? Yeah, he's kind of wisecracking, isn't he, <laughs> as well? And it feels like that's coming... It's weird tonally with the rest of the film. It feels like it's from a Michael Bay film. It feels like the humour that we got in yeah. Armageddon uh, mm. or The Rock. And it just doesn't really mess with what we're having here. He decided, I guess, oh, we need some light relief. Uh, Cooper's our funny character. But mm. in that situation, I just don't think he would be... Uh, apparently, he was improvising those lines. I would have told him to shut up. It took me yeah. out of it. Like, I just thought it was really silly that he'd be like, here I come! It was just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, even if he did improvise the lines, I mean, Paul Anderson, when he's sort of putting it together, should have gone, yeah, I'd probably leave those out. Leave that bit out where he's like, why does this shit always happen to me? You're like, don't, no, it doesn't, unnecessary. And it doesn't always happen to you. How often have you been blown into the orbit of Neptune by a bomb on a ship? <laughs> Not often. So it's a lie as well. Um, he, um, yeah. Uh, did either of you do it? Uh, this, this sounds like I'm showing off, but I've got this really cool surround sound system and the sound mix on this film is in incredible like when they're playing their latin tapes it was coming out of different speakers in the room it scared the shit out of me even more than i watched it when i watched it as a kid on my mum's tv what about when Lawrence Fishburne and Sam Neill are having a fight and you just hear like, psh, psh, like I said, so <laughs> it's so rubbish. It is rubbish. <laughs> like, oh, 
Um, yeah, because uh, we're into the the, the the climax now. Obviously, um, Sam Neill, like you say, uh, ends up uh, blowing the window out uh, to shoot at Cooper. Stupidly sucks himself into space. Um, Stark gets covered in the shining blood. Um, mm. And now we get to the deleted scene that I do really wish A, I could see, uh, B, had been found somewhere, was on a VHS or had been left in the movie, which is shortly after the Shining homage. Um, Sam Neill, in his Cenobite form, was meant to crawl spider-like, upside down, down a ladder, uh, grinning at Stark, which to me, uh, again, yes, we're thinking Reagan in The Exorcist. Mm, but that, that would films. have been brilliant. Yeah. Wouldn't it? Right? Yeah, really, really good. Because it's always scary when people move in that way, always. Mm. It's terrifying in The Exorcist. Um, and I think at else? that time oh even um, that, you know what no god sorry I'm thinking of something else uh, I think even at that time that scene hadn't been restored to the exorcist yet maybe so that would have been the first time we would have seen that properly used in a movie mm. yeah it would have been great so that's the scene that I most want back if I had to pick one of all the deleted scenes um, like you say Vicky uh, we get some psh- back and forth there's Miller and Weir um, fight it was meant to be Miller fighting the Burning Man test audiences didn't like that so it was changed to Miller fighting Weir I, I agree uh, with the test audiences um, because that is definitely what you need at that point point. Um, and we were meant to see a little more when Weir shows him his crew suffering and the hell dimension that was meant to be a bit more graphic don't think it really needs it at this point because uh we want to see what happens in the end which is that miller sacrifices himself in a way that i fucking never would and goes to hell um <laughs> which is like you can't understate how big a sacrifice that is to save stark and cooper he goes to hell <laughs> We, uh, but, but doesn't I mean is doesn't he want to go to hell? Um, no, does he? I don't, Why? So. I don't think so. He wants to save his crewmates because he never leaves a man behind apart from himself. So he broke that rule. Ah, oh, sorry, I thought you said Weir. You, do you mean Miller? Okay. Oh, sorry, did I say Weir? Yeah, Miller sacrifices himself obviously yeah. and, and goes to hell with Fair Weir. Enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Weir can't wait to get to hell. He's like, I've been really there. Um. And then we get at uh, the ending. And after all of that, Cooper and Stark wake up on the lifeboat. <clears throat> uh, we get the jump scare of it being Weir in the rescue suit uh, before Stark actually wakes up and she's all struggling. And I'd forgotten that this was the end, to be perfectly honest. Um, I didn't realize, I don't remember the idea that the door closes as the rescue guy's shouting for sedatives and you suddenly are led to believe that the evil is in the lifeboat as well, and they're not safe at all. And <clears throat> if that wasn't already a brilliant ending, the twisted kick in the teeth, the sick punchline at the end of this movie is the prodigy's funky shit kicking in as the credits start. And I just think <laughs> it's my favorite <clears throat> end of movie into credits moment after Fight Club. Uh, after Where yeah. Is My Mind in Fight Club. This is the best yeah. use of music to a button the end of your movie. I don't know why it works so well, but that final door close to is just brilliant. So good. <laughs> I, I, right I, st- I, um, I started, I noticed how many um, jump scares there were early on. I started counting them and I actually stopped because there were so many. 
Um, and I'm not always a, a, a fan of the jump scare. I feel like you've got to earn it. I don't think it earned as many as they do here. And then in terms of that ending, uh, you know, the fake out uh, dream that she's having where with we're <clears> returning. <throat> I think that's the third time they've done it. They've done made you think a dream is reality. I Again, I think you only get to do that once, maybe twice. But ending your film on beginning your film with one and ending your film with one is very naughty. I, I I do want to ask this question because I, I would be interested to know. I know that uh, you've maybe treated me with kid gloves a little bit on this episode because you know my love for this movie. But how much did you both enjoy rewatching Event Horizon this week? Let's start with you, Victoria, because it was your first watch. I really enjoyed it. I was, I mean... I had very high expectations though because of you. And also it took me a while to realize it wasn't set on a submarine. I don't know if I've mentioned. <laughs> so that's that's 10 minutes. So I was like, oh, okay, it's in space. Um, I just think it, I think it comes off badly every time it makes you think of aliens is the big problem for me because of the dialogue really. Like you, you're trying to get this like truckers in space, rough and tumble. They're a crew that will sacrifice themselves for each other. And it just didn't, the, dust, the dialogue just didn't pop enough for me to make me really invested. But its ambition, the way it looks is unbelievable. Like that, that gravity drive thing is incredible. Mm. Um, and all the horror, I think the horror is good. I think the jump scares aren't that good. But I think its vision and its idea of this portal to hell with a few sort of inconsistencies in like what the ship wants. Like if it's been to hell, why would it want to go back? Why would it not want to go to our universe and wreak havoc? And the mission is to stop it from doing that. But aside from that, yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed it. It wasn't quite as scary as I thought it was going to be, but it, I really admire its reach. Did you uh, did you watch it on your own? Because I, I watched it with people. I've watched it twice over the weekend. I watched it with people the first time, and I was like, oh, it wasn't as scary as I remember. And then I watched it on my own in my office with the lights turned off a second time, <laughs> and it, it it it's a completely different experience. Like most movies, but on my own watching this, I I, could, I had to stop. It scared me so much. Chris, what was your reaction? Uh, I'll let you know at the end of Thursday's episode in a little section I like to call <laughs> The Verdict. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, well, uh, just before we get to the bits, uh, exciting, exciting. I didn't know about this, uh, but I'm sure uh, some of you will have done if you're Event Horizon fans, and if you aren't, uh, or you uh, have just listened to this and gone, wow, this, is sound this sounds great. Basically, there's going to be an Event Horizon TV series on Amazon, which is immense news and not just because it's set in the event horizon universe uh, but also because it's adam wingard who um chris you put me on to not so long ago uh with the guest and you're next um who i now think is a brilliant director who's obviously got godzilla versus kong uh, coming out soon but i think he's a great person based on his horror credentials to be doing a tv show based on event horizon how excited are you Quite good. All right. That's silence. <laughs> yeah, quite okay. I should have asked. Should have just said it. Uh, right. Bits. Uh, best scene, uh, Victoria. Uh, when you see the gravity drive, the the imagery was uh, genuinely breathtaking. And it doesn't look like well, it doesn't look like anything I've seen before apart from Hellraiser, but that's fine. So yes, that scene. Chris, best scene. Uh when baby bear becomes bloody bear. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Justin in the airlock or Liberate, mate. So good. Uh, MVW, uh, Chris. Uh, Most valuable, in whatever. 
Sure. In 2001, every design that you see is in service to the story and the practicalities of space travel. Here it isn't. It's dumb. It looks ridiculous. But I'm going to go with the gravity drive. Um, it's just a beautiful <laughs> design. And I'm going to name check Joseph Bennett, because even if Paul Thomas Anderson designed this all himself, uh, Joseph Bennett is a production designer and I think he did an amazing job. Agree. It's it's such an incredible looking ship. Victoria, what's your MVW? Lawrence Fishburne as Captain Miller because he's just a proper good old-fashioned hero. And I actually we'll talk about this more in the Sunshine episode, but I respect the chain of command. And if I'm going to go into space, I want there to be a boss and he is the big boss man. So him. Good call. Um, I've got two because uh, I have. And uh, one is the Event Horizon. The ship itself is just this uh, terrifying um, f- floating, like, death thing in space and i just love looking at it um but also sean pertwee because i think smitty is my favorite (laughs) character i think he's so so good uh, in this movie all right what would you change victoria I would connect Weir and Miller's backstories because they have got this like beef between them, which is predicated on you're new to my crew. And then Sam Neill gets up to all sorts of like shenanigans, but like Lawrence Fishburne stops him from going onto the event horizon and he hates him for that. And that's all fine. But if their stories about the burning man and the dead wife were connected and they each had an insight into the other's darkest fears and most shameful moments then you'd be able to um it'd be more impactful i think okay i like that i like that a lot christopher uh in terms of those missing scenes i i also found someone saying uh that there was a scene of the event horizon crew fucking each other to death uh so (laughs) let's have that back please (laughs) <laughs> that's not real you can't have something that's not real that's not they don't fuck each other to death i don't believe that's a deleted scene that can't be um okay i got one um so uh, at two points in the film uh captain miller uses the same uh line at people so uh, near the start uh, he says to cooper he goes that bunk better be squared away mr cooper or you'll find yourself walking to neptune then later on, he says to Weir, you get your gear, you get back on the Lewis and Clark, Doctor, or you'll find yourself walking home. <laughs> now, for that to be in there twice, you've you got to go either way. You've you, uh, you got to delete one of them and just keep it once. Or, as I think should have happened, Miller should have just said it loads throughout the movie whenever he <laughs> find it. I, I think it should have been, you better not open that airlock, Justin, or you're going to find yourself walking home. <laughs> you better not throw that fireball at me, or you're going to find yourself walking home. You better not send this ship to hell again with me aboard, or you're going to find yourself walking home. I think that would have worked quite nicely if it was his catchphrase. <laughs> That is the only thing I would change about Event Horizon. <laughs> Shall we do a quiz, Chris? Yeah, let's do a quiz. Um, this quiz is called Hit or Myth. Mm. Hit or myth. Mm. Oh, lovely. <laughs> um, although it's not really Hit or Myth. Um, have we got any Icarus fans in the house? <laughs> As in the legend? Yeah, yes, do why you? not? So what happened to Icarus? He flew he too made... close to the sun, Chris. Yeah, because yeah, his, his wings waxy, were made of wax. Yeah, Waxy wings. Okay, so I'm going to describe to you some Greek gods. I want you to tell me the name of those Greek gods. Okay. You ready? Let me just write yep. down A and V. 
Just for the okay. record, Icarus wasn't a god, but never mind. Uh, goddess of beauty, love, desire, and... Aphrodite! Oh. Aphrodite! God, Alex, Alex, I think Alex is going to be good at this. I know. Um, the god of the sea, rivers, floods... Neptune! Dra- no, droughts and... Poseidon! Correct. <laughs> <laughs> uh, goddess of victory. Hera. Venus. Goddess of Victory also made a cracking pair of trainers. Nike. Oh, correct. Adidas. <laughs> <laughs> correct. Uh, God of music, arts, knowledge, healing, plague, prophecy, poetry, manly. Oh, Dionysus. 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 No. This no. Is the God of music, arts, knowledge, mm. healing, plague, prophecy, mm. poetry, manly beauty, and archery. Hercules, no, no, Achilles, no, oh, no, here, 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 no, here, 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 there might oh, be a Roman you... one somewhere. Uh, no, these are all Greek. Uh, King of the Underworld and the Dead. Oh, Hades. Oh, oh no, God of love and sexual intercourse. Dionysus. Also, also a nightclub in Enfield where I once met half the Tottenham team. Oh, that's oh. interesting. Um, uh, tramps. <laughs> God of love and sexual intercourse is... Um, uh, oh, I don't know. Eros. Oh, oh yeah. of course it is. Okay. Uh, the Titan forced to carry the heavens upon his shoulders. Atlas. Correct. Alex is good at these. Uh, God of boundaries, travel, communication, trade, language, thieves, and writing. Also good at delivering parcels. Hermes. Hermes. <laughs> Mickey got it. <laughs> Mickey got it. Uh, Titan of forethought and crafty counsel and creator of mankind. Oh, God. What also, Kronos. Also, also, an alien movie. Oh, three. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, get no one getting it. No, no. Alex, you should have said Prometheus. Oh shit! Oh, <laughs> flipping uh, King of the gods, ruler of Mount Olympus, and Zeus. God of the sc- <laughs> Alex has won today's quiz. <laughs> <laughs> it was my favourite book as a kid was Greek myths and legends. I've so, never seen you so amped. I've never seen you so amped up. Would you've got the tiebreaker? Um, who played Zeus in the nineteen eighty one version of Clash of the Titans? Oh no, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Oh, I know Lawrence. Matthew Smith's in that. Lawrence Olivier. Well done, Alex. Okay. Congratulations. Thanks very much. That's, uh, that's that's one each for the start of the year, isn't it, Victoria? You did do one last week. <coughs> oh, I, I, mean, was, I wasn't keeping score, to be honest. But, uh, but yeah, I that's wasn't. completely correct. Yeah. That's why it's my phrase is a question. Good. As long as someone's keeping score. Uh, right. Um, uh, so, uh, time to talk about next week's show. I've got a clue for you uh, for next week's movies. Here is the clue. If you'd like to guess, head on to Twitter at ClashPod. The clue is... The traffic in Australia makes me crazy. (laughs) The traffic in Australia 
makes me crazy. That's your clue. Uh, right then, uh, we're off skis, uh, but we are back on Thursday to talk about the challenger this week. That is Danny Boyle's movie from 2006, Sunshine. In the meantime, please subscribe to us and indeed uh, give us a rating and a review if you have time, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify or other. And uh, get in touch online at ClashPod on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Event Horizon. Bye. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Creative Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.